0: You're listening to Zeros on Heroes with Mike Merkadal. Hey everybody, welcome to Zeros on Heroes. My name is Mike Merkadal. I am your host... Uh, Thank you to everybody who's been liking and sharing and subscribing and, and writing reviews. We appreciate all of you. And thank you for people who have told me ways to improve the show. I really appreciate that because I want it to be as good as possible. And uh, thank you for, for everyone who's been coming out to the live shows at the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City, Queens, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Unsung Heroes. That's right. It's a show. It's essentially an open mic talk show with all of the hilarious New York comedians that hang out at the Creek in the Cave. and uh, And you. You can be on. You don't have to have a comedy background or or anything. We've had drunk randos just appear and be on the show. And sometimes it's a win. Sometimes it's not. Uh, But either way, it's fun listening. And uh, if you're subscribed to this, you're subscribed to that. So you get all of this shows, all of these shows on the zeros on heroes podcast feed. New shows coming soon. Stay tuned. Uh, Be sure to subscribe and and also uh, share with your friends it's uh, the, the, word of mouth. Build the viewer. If, if you enjoy what we're doing, uh, give it a, give it a share, give it a retweet and uh, follow us at zeros on heroes on all social media and uh, zeros on heroes on Facebook. It's all there for you to enjoy in our continuing New York city, comic-con coverage. I got to sit down with the directors and the lead actress of a, uh, it's, it's an independent film that feels way more, Complete, you know, like uh, indie gets this weird vibe. It is a dope science fiction, kind of visceral science fiction. I don't know what you would call it, but it's called Prospect, and it was uh, uh, something I was not aware. Again, something I learned about in in the lead up to doing press for New York Comic Con, and I knew I had to jump on. It's 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 pretty amazing what they've done. And it was great to sit down. I thought it was going to be a round table session. turns out to be, it was a press conference style. So there's going to be a couple audio things that I'm going to be jumping in and out of the interview because you couldn't really hear the people asking questions. So, uh, I'll be popping in to kind of clarify what they were asking and what they were talking about. And I got to sit down with lead actress, Sophie Thatcher, which is going to be the hardest to hear. She, unfortunately, uh, she was too far away from the microphone, but, um, and then the directors, well, filmmakers, the creators of this, of this sci-fi world, Chris Caldwell and Zeke Earl. And, uh, they, they were really inspiring in the sense that this felt like a real. Uh, labor of love, like kind of a a passion project that they chose to kind of build out a world for this movie to take place in. And it was super interesting. It also stars Pedro Pascal. So there'll be a couple questions about him. You know him from Game of Thrones and uh, Narcos and all that stuff. He's uh Kingsman, the Golden Circle. He was in that, too. Uh But yeah, these it was a super fun interview. Very interesting. And it was interesting to hear the the passion behind an independent creator as i am also an independent creator of things and uh, it was ve- it was it was pretty inspiring uh let's start it off the first question is uh you you, I, you you weren't able to hear so i cut it out but the first question is this was originally a short and uh, they kind of brought it out into a feature and uh, talks a little bit about that process sorry Whew. um well it was a
1: four-year process uh which was, I mean, like an emotional roller coaster. We're first time film directors. We're just trying to get people to like, trust us with lots of money to make a movie. Um, and, but I'm, in retrospect, I'm really glad it took so long because we re- rewrote the script like three or four times. We used that time to pour more detail into this original sci fi world, make more concept art, really think things out. And I think it's a much, much better movie uh, because of that, that long incubation period
0: next question was about uh, having practical sets and real props, and the desire to have that experience as an indie film, and any difficulties that it may have brought to the production.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of the very intentional strategic angles we took for the film, even from the time we were making the short. And in the short film, we were able to kind of establish a lot of the flavor of the world and kind of the basic premise. But one of the things we set out to do with this film was to see how far we could push an indie level budget in the space of the practicals, like the production design manifested in real physical objects and the suits, the the costumes, the, the props, the sets. Um, and so that's kind of one of the like kind of behind the scenes aspirations of the film was to do an indie sci-fi work that kind of, you know, was trying to get at that like classic Star Wars feel, the alien, the, the kind of sci-fi films that aren't in front of green screens that you feel like you can reach out and touch and hold on to.
0: So. Next, I turn the question over to Sophie as to how working with Pedro Pascal and uh, the practical effects and the sets and the props and all that stuff, how that impacted her performance, uh, especially working with a, a much more seasoned actor in a very real world environment.
3: Well, it made it easier with the spacesuit, actually. It was hard at first, just getting used to it, but like a couple of weeks in, I became accustomed to the helmet and the visor. Um, once I put the helmet on, it felt like I was like delving into this universe of prospects. And um, working with Pedro was amazing. At first, I was a bit intimidated by him because it was my first feature and I was just feeling things out. But we became really close and as the story progresses, our characters become close too. So that happened kind of organically. For the I cat.
0: Freak out not trying to scratch her, not being able to scratch your nose.
3: And <laughs> I mean, the I helmets got used were to it. like. I got really used to it, yeah.
2: They were a really unique challenge for like, the whole cast, and I don't know, like. I don't know if we have the record, but we've got to be close to kind of like the most uh, lines of dialogue recorded like in a completely enclosed helmet. I
1: want someone to figure that out. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, which, you know, it's a challenge for the actors because, you know, their voices are bouncing around in their heads and we had to kind of develop a lot of interesting ways to kind of accommodate that. You, you quickly realize why so many science fiction films try to get their characters out of helmets as quickly as possible. Um, I mean, essentially, when it when, by the end of it, we had pit crews for each actor where every after every time that uh, we yelled cut, the visor would come off They'd be wiping it down With anti-fog There's all kinds of Like ventilation the F1
1: pit team Like yeah. just getting in there Like with the The way the costume's Is yeah, so complicated But yeah Every time I see A YouTube comment Even on the trail, They're like Wait they don't take Their helmets off In this movie I'm like yes
0: <laughs> We didn't We suffered the next questions I'll lump together uh, just because the answers were so short, but basically, how did they get Pedro Pascal involved? And what was it like to be the jacks of all trades when it came to creating this film as writers, directors, uh, set designers, production, all that stuff uh, done in house, just done between the two of them?
1: Um, he just really connected with the script. He, uh, he really liked the language, you know, uh, which I got to hand credit to Chris for kind of inventing this really original vernacular that's from this world. Uh, and he, he just kind of loved, loved that challenge to, like, take take on on the words. <laughs> I mean, really, we just don't know any better. I mean, Chris and I... Uh, ran a small commercial production company in Seattle and we just made ads together and then made short films and it sort of organically grew and it's just what we've always done so we, we've just kind of built this very specific co-directing relationship that allows me to, to run the camera and kind of design the visual world and kind of you know jump in and out so it's just kind of like I'm not sure we know how to do it any other way
0: Next, they were asked about their influences and uh, whether or not they were influenced by modern sci-fi or whether or not they were drawn more to the classics.
2: Absolutely. I mean, aesthetically, a lot of inspiration drawn from the classics, from like what we said, Star Wars Alien, Blade Runner, that kind of like aesthetic. But um, we are very excited and, and hope to kind of be participating in, in kind of this more, more. Uh, I guess, uh, what's was the word to use? This, this kind of more intellectual science fiction, I suppose. Um, one of the things that we were really striving to do with this film was to kind of capture that feeling of immersion, where you don't hold the, the viewer's hand. You don't hold the audience's hand through the world. It's not putting a lot of words in the character's mouth that are explaining what's happening in bits of the world. We wanted that to be evident through the density of the details in the production design, where you pick up bits and pieces and, and piece together the feeling that this is a, an interconnected alive world, and we're just watching, we're observing this part of it. And so I think, um, if anything, yeah, that's that's one of the things we we're trying to do, is, is the experiences you kind of get put in over your head, and then you kind of have to piece together, you know, what this world is comprising.
0: Next question was for Sophie about any difficult stunts she had to do on set.
3: Oh, we had that one stunt that we prepared forever, and there was this other stunt that you guys asked if I could do it, but... I wanted to stay safe, so I chose not to. Um, Yeah,
1: all of our stunts were really tricky because of the helmets and because of the visors. And you you did a lot of them. You did a lot of the the tussling around, for sure, a lot of the following. But we also had a stunt double because it's just you got to be really careful with the helmet getting jarred around.
0: So Prospect has actually uh, been nominated for a few awards at different film festivals and actually won at South by Southwest. And the next question was about uh, how excited the guys were for their film to get a wide distribution and theatrical release.
1: Um, It's kind of a... It's no guarantee that a movie our, our size uh, gets a theatrical release. So we're just, like, totally taken aback, totally floored. Um, it's it's coming out to L.A., New York, November 2nd, and then it's going to go uh, wider all around the U.S., November 9th. And, like, I, like, just assumed that, oh, this will just kind of go to streaming, and that's cool, but, like, to get a theatrical release is really special, and we're so excited.
0: Up next, we hear about the visual effects process and the time and process in which they got... A prospect to look as good as it does, and if you've seen the trailer, which I highly recommend everybody do, it does look amazing. How much time? Yes. Um, the VFX was a very
1: uh kind of we again, we didn't hire like a really big company, it was just kind of some friends of ours in Seattle that took this on as a, as a passion project. And uh, we were actually able to work on the spaceships during pre production, so we had a really long time to like get that right. Uh, there's a The movie takes place on a toxic alien moon, so there's toxic dust in literally every exterior shot and we were very insistent on doing that in a very practical way so we actually shot dust for a really miserable day in my basement we tried it in like a few studios and it didn't work my basement was like small enough, it got the right airflow. so uh, it's very particular dust and then it was painstakingly layered into every shot and it took months and months and months and I don't think that any like big movie would like take the time to do that because it was a ridiculous workflow but I think we have like it has a really kind of organic feel to it that I'm really proud of
0: so, J. Duplass is also in this movie, and I asked Zeke, the director, uh, what it was like to direct J. Duplass on set. Oh, I, Jay Duplass,
1: you don't, like, direct him. He's, like, <laughs> such a pro. Like, he, he was, I mean, he's a director, and, like, it's its kind of a dream as a first-time director to be someone who's so experienced with him, because he's so empathetic uh, to you as a filmmaker. Like, on the second day of shooting, I was... Uh, operating the camera in a very tight spaceship set. I was sweating. This is my first feature film. Like, my mind's racing. I'm just trying to, like, remember everything. And he just, like, looks at me and say, Hey, dude, stop. You're getting dehydrated. You need to drink water. And you're not going to have time to go get water. You need to ask someone to get you water. This is not what I'm thinking about. But he was, like, completely right. So he more or less was, like, a mentor on set for those first couple of and I weeks. I think
2: part of why he took the project, too, was he connected with kind of the DIY spirit of everything. Because, you know, on his first films, he was the camera op, the boom op and the director and the cinematographer all at the same time. And there's there's a bit of that spirit in Prospect as well.
0: Up next, another twofer. Sophie was asked about a very strong tonal shift early in the film and how her performance was affected by the parts of the shoot that they were allowed to do chronologically, and then also how impactful music is in terms of setting the tone and setting the scene and kind of building out character.
3: Well, that was the hardest part, I think, um, trying to gracefully portray her character arc because she obviously starts off as more timid and um, as she grows and is forced to um, be with Ezra she kind of starts standing up for herself and speaks for herself and that was one of my favorite parts and reading the script, that's kind of what drew me in just the complexity of her character
2: art. and significantly that was one of the things that we were able to shoot chronologically and so i think it kind of worked really nicely yeah. where and I remember
3: leaving the set going back home feeling more confident that i had But like you got to go, you got to go
2: through that transition you know because you were getting to know Jay and yeah, then there was sort of like the passing naturally. of the guard and then Pedro
1: carried through the rest of the production mm-hmm. so
3: yeah I was listening to my own music usually
1: <laughs> We did so those were custom made headphones for the movie um, we did have like uh, a little Bluetooth, like, wireless thing that Sophie could wire in her own music, like, between takes and stuff, which was pretty yeah. cool. Um, so the, the music, uh, is all, uh, it's not, it's not original. We didn't have, like, the time and money to compose, like, all these original pop songs. So kind of what I would do is I'd try to find pop music kind of, uh, from the 70s, 80s, and 60s from, like, other countries. oh, I'm so sorry, um, from other countries, um, Uh, And so like, and generally on YouTube, I just go like, I put in like Turkish pop music 70s and then just go on a kind of a a, a rabbit hole where you keep clicking, you get out of English at some point, it's just all language I don't know and you're just kind of listening to things and I think we found some some really cool stuff that way and then then we had to of course hire, uh, 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 it's uh, Dan music supervisor. A music supervisor who then was like, I gave all these crazy song and like and like, hey can you find these licenses? And he's like the, he said it's the worst job he's ever had. Uh, and, then, and then he came up with some ideas too, like just based off that stuff that worked and he did an amazing job on the film. But these details like having evidence of pop music, evidence of like a
2: civilization that like we're out in the wilderness but we wanted it to feel like, you know, they were out in the wilderness to something you know, that there was a culture out there mm-hmm. and so part of it was trying to like very, to weave this this thread of, like, something that felt alien but also familiar in a lot of ways, and we wanted it to feel like pop music, and I think it sort yeah. of settled into a lot of, like, uh, Eastern European and Asian sort of twists on American genres um, in a lot of ways, and so you kind of get that sort of intermixed sort of and alien I feel, feel like
3: music was also really important to C's character, mm-hmm. as it served as an escape for her, and yeah. created, like, a disconnect from reality, and for a little place, she could just... Go somewhere else yeah that and, escapism yeah, yeah yeah
0: from a technical aspect zeke was asked about post-production and color grading and and what an impact shooting on location uh, and the locations they chose had on the film
1: uh no i the, the color grading was uh, a huge part of the creative process for me um i sat in on all the all the color days and and we got like like two solid weeks kind of spread out so we could create a look spend some time come back to it um, and yeah I mean I think it was like we, we were we looked, at, we looked at a lot of like uh, the original Hasselblad photography from the early Apollo missions and trying to get kind of that texture like uh, it's a very digital movie but we wanted to kind of pull in some of that kind of you know retro kind of texture um, and then kind of the other thing was that there was the the blue rule which was that for the most part only uh, Sophie's suit was allowed to have a strong Blue presence, and we try to kind of take that out of the rest of the film. So it's a very like harsh uh, world, world that they have to survive. But it's very warm and kind of beautiful, and we wanted to kind of play with that that contrast. So what's your, um, film um, the. Toxic Alien uh, Forest uh, is the uh, Olympic Rainforest, uh, the Ho Rainforest specifically, which is uh, in Washington State. It's a, a beautiful, amazing uh, location, and then the interiors were shot uh, in Seattle. And we shot a lot of the
2: feature in the exact same locations, like
1: down to the tree
2: that we shot the <laughs> short film in, because we developed this relationship with a private land trust out there that had some old growth forest, and it's a place that we grew up hiking. It was kind of a part of the conception of the film was, you know, one of the first steps was you know, uh, you know come, going going to college together and 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 going out and like backpacking out in these forests and it was just like we got to make a sci-fi film
0: set here because it's so insane um and uh yeah hoping that prospect is a huge success and they continue to make more films set in this world i asked him about if they'd even planned for that
1: yeah, I mean, in the, through the development of Prospect, we kind of started making our own, like, Wikipedia. Because it's like you in- introduce a new kind of subculture or a new character, and you got to figure out their backstory and where they're from. And the economics of everything are really important to us. We want to make sure it, like, kind of makes sense from an economic standpoint. So I feel like we actually have already fleshed out kind of the whole off-world that uh, you don't see in the film. And, yeah, we're ready to tell more stories there. Yeah, when you establish a world, you hope to be able to kind of, you know,
2: capitalize on it for as many, like, storytelling opportunities as you can Um, there were there were like bits of scripts or even drafts of like full drafts of scripts that we had worked on that kind of were set in the same universe maybe at a different time period and some of these ideas we're hoping to kind of coalesce and capitalize on as a a a television series or or some other uh, form of that but yeah it's definitely kind of a a vibe and an aesthetic that we would like to
0: tell more stories within here they were asked about their biggest challenges when it came to creating a special effect or a specific shot for the movie uh, I think
1: the main thing is the yeah is we were very committed to doing it on location uh, in a real rainforest um, primarily shooting with natural light so kind of like you know everyone is checking like three different weather forecasts like on the hour and there was uh, we actually went to this location because we hoped it would be overcast this is actually it's just out of Forks, Washington where the Twilight series is set because the vampires like don't like the sun but we went out there and we got this freakish like two weeks of sunshine so like there's this one scene um it's uh, actually Pedro Pascal's first scene where we were scheduling the shots like by the hour as the sun would shift through the trees. And it was just a huge like logistic nightmare. But I think it really pays off to be in like, a real natural location like that. And part
2: of it was by necessity and, and the limitations of our budget as well. We had to be nimble because we were out there. We couldn't be hauling all kinds of lighting equipment out there. So it was a lot of light modification and just using the natural light and dealing with it um, to, to, yeah, to get it done.
0: Due to the nature of us recording at this open hall in Comic Con, there was some audio issues. But Sophie was asked about being 16 while filming this movie and wh- and what it was like to transfer her skills from uh, theatrical acting to cinematic film acting.
3: Yeah, it took me a while to be able to. Is with musical theater that's what I that's where I what I studied in high school. It's so out there. And then with. Um, acting on screen. It's so natural. And that's what I like about it. It feels so much more real. And it's... I don't know. It transforms me into this universe when it feels so real. Um, So that's what I gravitated towards. Um, And that's when I was like, I kind of want to do more film. Obviously, it's harder to get into that. But...
2: I think we didn't even... Not to cut you off. No, no, no. Um, I think we didn't even fully realize, like, what we were getting into in terms of risk. Just, um, you know, she's she's in every single scene of the movie. She was shooting every single day of our 40-day-long production. It's out in the middle of the woods with a helmet. And I think we benefited from her theater grit, from just, like, grinding it oh, out yeah, in theater and yeah. being yeah. able to just be pro. And uh, particularly with, you know, um, casting a minor
0: in a, in a lead role, um, that is, yeah. we got lucky with Sophie. So.
3: Thank you.
0: The next question was about uh, Pedro Pascal's character's specific manner of speaking in Prospect. But it really just turned into a conversation about how dope Pedro Pascal is and his immense talents.
1: God, that guy's so stupid talented. Um, he he tried out, like, a few takes on us, um, but he really owned that character. Like, you would, would you never quite knew what he was going to do when you were going to call action. Like, he surprised us on a continual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and such, like, he's hilarious. He I, I keeps getting, like, cast in all this, like, big action stuff. But, like, yeah, at I any point, if do he do wants comedy. to do comedy like, because he'd have, like, the entire crew, like, cracking up right before a take, you'd yell action, and then he's, like, murdering someone, and you're, like, terrified. He can just, like, turn it on like that. I mean, as far as,
2: yeah, as far as the accent was concerned, it was just kind of a little bit of, uh, kind of more just feeling it out, experimentation. I think the language, because it's so weird, sort of dictated a lot of that, and it couldn't, you couldn't just, like, deliver it in plain speech, because there's so much, like, messing with, uh, vocabulary that's going on, and so it kind of needed something to fuse it all together.
0: How about a sales pitch to mainstream sci-fi audiences? That's what these guys were asked for next. I don't
2: know. It's uh, a... <laughs> uh, I, I feel like a lot of it... I mean, I don't know. I think part of it is, is sort of acknowledging the achievement in terms of... The, the budget. I think that's one of the things that, like, when we're kind of in the mix with all the big like superhero movies and blockbusters. I mean, we're very excited about that opportunity. Um, at the same time, it's very much at, at its
1: roots and its DNA. It's an indie film that's that's trying to stretch yeah. the dollar. It's it's an indie movie made by people who like are in love with science fiction. So like, you know, no, it's like you know we had like the budget of like half of a Marvel fight scene, but like we pushed it as far as we could. Um, And I think people who, like, love science fiction, love, like, Alien and Blade Runner and, like, a lot of the stuff from the 70s and 80s will kind of see where we're coming from. Uh, I mean, our production design team
2: was comprised of people from all all different backgrounds. These are people in Seattle where there's not, like, a a strong, established film production design industry. So a lot of people had more experience designing, you know, as industrial engineers or mechanics or carpenters or cosplayers. We had a bunch of cosplayers, like, in our production design shop because um, we were kind of, like, drawing from, like... a diversity of skill sets and it really was kind of the collective effort of this passionate team. I think it brought a lot of interesting perspectives because we really wanted the the production design to have kind of a utilitarian heft to it and so having a lot of people that were designing products in the real world sort of bringing their ideas to the table as opposed to people who um, have more experience just purely in a prop um, situation. But, um, yeah, it was very much kind of a homegrown passion. It's
1: like people who would be, like, fans of the film were, like, making the film. And, like, the vibe during pre-production was, like, amazing. It's, like, I don't know if I'll ever get to do anything so much fun where you just have this, like, family of people. No one's made a movie before. And you have, like, seven months, this hard deadline to make a gazillion spaceship suits, guns, uh, everything. And I want to point out, we, we threw on tables here. This is uh, an in-world kind of artifact. This is a prospecting catalog. Do uh, more Yeah, and there, I think there's more, too, if you run out. But more or less, this is, like, uh, an advertisement for people who would potentially want to prospect uh, in this universe and it just kind of shows you the level of world building uh, and props in detail that we, we got to go into
0: there's an element of prospect that includes uh, drug addiction and kind of uh, substance abuse, and that was addressed in the film, and uh, 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 Zeke, the director, was asked to expand on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, this the starting point it was just kind of part of the world-building process where, like, it was very important to us that space travel in this universe is not glamorous, it's not easy, it takes a really long time in really uncomfortable conditions, and you have these just kind of blue-collar people going out to try to make a better life for themselves, and so it's just kind of a very natural thing. It's like, you know, long haul truckers. It's like, there's all sorts of substances, you know, caffeine, whatever that, uh, you know, you kind of use to get through it. And so like, uh, for C's dad, this is not his first trip like this. And over the years of doing these kind of jobs, it's just seemed a very natural thing that he'd be kind of get addicted uh, to these substances. It's kind of a, uh, yeah,
2: a borderline addiction that, that, that accumulates over time and, and, and just the habits of when you're spending, cause you know, in our minds, you know, you're spending weeks, if not months, on these long haul, like space journeys. And so you have to figure out a way to get through it. It's all cramped. It's very just uncomfortable. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of to represent kind of that grind and how it just,
0: like, was wearing him down. The directors also discussed the efforts to be as scientifically accurate as possible.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I'd, I'd say, like, I mean, it's not, like, you know, interstellar level hard sci fi, but trying to keep to maintain a believable world is something that's really important to us. I actually loved, we got a Facebook message the other week, it wasn't even a comment, it was a direct Facebook message being like how do they defecate in the suits? And I was like, yes, I love that people are thinking that through. And actually, it's like not in the film, it's not part of the plot, it's not explained, but we had like colostomy bags like on like the side of the belts um, that were even kind of squishy if you felt them. And it's like we really like wanted to like think through every aspect and try to be as true to that as possible. Because I think that's what makes it the most engaging world and the most kind of tense, thrilling narrative.
0: I'm gonna watch the film differently now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to change the way you watch this movie, but there are poop bags on the spacesuits. Man, these guys thought of everything. Well, let's hear some of their literary influences. I mean, I my favorite growing up was like
1: Dune, like kind of that like classic stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you. I mean, I've was. been digging into Foundations
2: recently. Oh, uh, yeah, just because it's it's sort of relevant to some of the the ideas we're trying to play with with some future future stuff. Um, one that always stuck out to me from kind of, like, adolescence was, uh, Dan Simmons' Hyperion. Um, um, yeah, because awesome. it was, like, it's also just kind of this roulette of all of these different crazy ideas, and when you're interacting with them for the first time, you have, like, you know, what was it, that, that American poet that was, like, out, and he had his, like, portal house, where, like, every, every, every room, like, went to a different space, but, yeah. like, yeah.
0: This is an indie feature, so of course we had to ask about the budget how small it was how did you get that money uh if you've ever wanted to shoot your own indie listen up
1: (laughs) (laughs) um so we uh i mean a kind of big part of it is that we this gets i mean a little industry inside but we like had our own line producer from doing commercials and we actually built the budget totally from scratch like any in just like to, like traditional industry person stepping in, like would have told us our movie was impossible. And so Bryce Budke, who's a, another college friend of ours, uh, came from Microsoft. Like, uh, just kind of reinvented a way of like doing this budget, and it was, I mean, really little, really laborious. But it had, to, you know, like we it included like a lot of unusual things. Like we bought our own CNC machine, like for you know, like like, like there was budgets for tools, like glue. Like it was like got very very nitty gritty, and we had to like prove to financiers that this wasn't just a stupid idea and uh like the script which we rewrote four times we rewrote the budget 10 times like to get to that part so it was it was a big process we were asking for a lot and a lot of it was kind of unprecedented
2: in the sense that's like oh yeah and we want 40 days of production and we want seven months to a year of, of lead time to build all the props and sets and costumes and in our minds it's like this is a great deal because you know <laughs> like we're doing it all for this much money the, the you know the flip side is we need the time to execute it and so that was a challenge in terms of pitching people I think there was a lot of established like you know financing entities that would hear some of these numbers and just be like "Nope." we got um, laughed out of a
1: lot of rooms but, I mean not literally but people like oh <laughs> you want to do that yeah okay but eventually, yeah we
2: eventually <laughs> found Bron up in uh, Vancouver who kind of bought the the whole story that we were
0: trying to sell and uh, let us do it so of course with a small budget comes with creative problem-solving they talked about that next um,
2: I mean there's a lot of efficiencies born out of this kind of warehouse thing part of it was that we we took out a year long lease on a warehouse and this is became our production offices and pre-production it was the shop where all the props and costumes were built then it's in, in production it transitioned into the stage because we had built the sets there and so we just shot them there um, we did some like DIY soundproofing measures to like make that work out and then it, it became our post-production studio one of the I think one of the just real quick the um, one of the cool bits was that in you know because we're editing in the shop and we have the set sitting outside and so we'd be like cutting together the scene where they land and be like oh we could really use this insert that we don't have we would put someone in a sleeve walk out you know uh 50 yeah. feet into the into the warehouse we'd shoot it and then just throw it into the cut and so we were doing a lot of continu- we were able to do a lot of continuous pickup shooting just because fix a lot of our mistakes yeah we were we were editing in in the building that contained all the sets and costumes and props and stuff too so
0: up next I asked about getting the word out and any kind of creative PR and promotion that they were doing you know this is a, a nuts and bolts kind of stuff but if you've ever created a project or uh, I don't know if you can tell the spirit of DIY was re- is really strong with this film and these guys and I, I, I cannot support that enough uh, but there, there's a lot of curiosities in terms of uh, how, do you, how do you build it how do you get if you build it they will come how do you let them know you build it so we talk about that
1: yeah, I mean it hasn't quite started yet, but um, we're really excited to be working with Dust, which is a big like sci-fi Facebook page, and they we've been working with them on creating a lot of like unusual kind of in-world like additional materials and artifacts and videos. So they're going to be rolling out a constant stream of like content that I'm really excited about that will kind of expand the the world of the film. I think
2: these little catalogs are kind of a good example. We like sort of building out in-world artifacts, and we just had a bunch. We, we have a bunch of material. We had a bunch of like logos that. That we developed that we didn't, you know, that don't get a ton of screen time in the film, and there's just kind of, you know, this 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 whole world that we wanted to flesh out, and we wanted to feel like a like go forth, you know, go west, young man, sort of. Go You'll notice find it, your
1: even in the, the trailer, words. like Sophie half the time wears this just like gray sweatshirt with a cartoon character, and we had to like kind of build out a cartoon show and we actually wanted to know like, what are the other characters and we drew a few of them and so and you will see there's ads done by this cartoon character
0: throughout that catalog as well I think this comparison with Love it feels like Firefly in the sense I don't know if you guys were fans of the show mm-hmm. when there was this world that that, that was they, the next step was already kind of planned out it feels like you guys are very thorough in, in kind of building this world uh, it's not a question I'm just excited to yeah, swear, for sure yes I really was getting some total Firefly vibes, and uh, that's high compliment from me. I really do love Firefly, and this does feel like a dark version of that. And it has has a lot of that war- lived in world feel. Um, up next, day, talk about co directing and uh, the friction that comes from that, or lack of. Who knows? Between the, like the two of us, uh, I'd actually say like
1: prospect uh, for me at least was probably the most harmonious our co-directing relationship has ever been because it was so hard and so exhausting that to have another person with you through that process is awesome. Like I, I totally recommend it. It's like we really just kind of relied on each other. We needed each other, you know, through that process
2: yeah I think a lot of it is a factor of habit and just the fact that we run a business together we've been shooting commercials together it's sort of this is and this is our first feature and so like we don't really know um, any other way and this is kind of just what everything has been culminating
1: there was I mean there was one big argument on set there was a scene where Sophie's filter was running low and I'm like she should like push this button like a bunch of times like we built these cool buttons she should push the button and chris is like no she shouldn't push the button And but we argued about that was, like, for like five minutes and then we didn't use uh the yes, footage always, at all it so. was
2: arbitrary button pushing we didn't it didn't make sense in that situation which is like, like what it's what like maybe a button, like
1: a reset thing what a you know? Do? I, I don't. it made sense
0: <laughs> <laughs> here's another answer to another budget question but this time how it relates to a low budget affecting creativity and forcing new creative solutions
2: yeah i mean it's sort of a a two-sided coin there um i think i think work like i've I've always found that restrictions you know in in a lot of ways make creativity you know inspiration finding inspiration even easier in some ways because it sort of focuses your vision obviously once you kind of get off to the races then all you want is more money to
1: do all the things that you want to do but I, i think the distinction is that this movie was like, built to be uh, inexpensive. Like, it's it's not like we were taking some story and then, like, figuring out how to do it cheap. It's like we were thinking from... I mean, Chris and I wrote it. We were thinking while we were writing, like, what are the implications, like, on, on set? So it was very much designed to be that way. And I would encourage people who are trying to get their first feature off the ground or get into filmmaking
2: to be thinking, you know, financially as well, to be strategic with kind of your the creative development because everything is interconnected and, um... You know that we we you know we were probably aware that the only way we got a shot at doing something like this was if it was very economical. So.
0: Up next, the conversation turned towards the idea of other mediums. Could the stories of Prospect and the world it's set in be told in uh, in other ways? And of course, it being New York Comic Con, the idea of comic books came up.
1: Not super familiar with the publishers. Um, yeah, I, I no, we, know there's been some talk about kind of comic books. We um, uh, uh, we actually uh, are the concept artist for the film. He's a very talented illustrator by the name of Laurie Greasley, and he actually comes more from the comic book world. So we've actually been talking like comic book ideas uh, with him. Um, he's a very like detailed aesthetic that like really helped us like flesh out the production design. Um, so so it would be very exciting if we were able to do that.
2: He was, if you haven't seen his work, you should check it out. It's Laurie Griesley again, and uh, he was very—he was very much a part of the core early con- concepting team, and he influenced a lot of what became the designs of the the suits and and, uh, um, and all the stuff.
0: Earlier in the part of the audio that got messed up, uh, the Miyazaki. And uh, the Studio Ghibli films were brought up as inspirations, and uh, they were the, the directors were asked to expand a little on that. Oh man,
2: I mean oh. Miyazaki is kind of one of those where when, you know, part of the conception of this is, is it's all driven by a, a young female protagonist and when you kind of look at the swath of material the, you know, Miyazaki films are the ones that um, have that and so that was kind of a natural thing and then it was almost, yeah, it was retrospective to, to discover that like Nausicaa had like a very similar vibe with like the toxic spores and
1: stuff floating in the air. Uh, um, I mean, Akira gets bounced around a lot with the 80s aesthetic. Uh, we love Cowboy Bebop and mm, some of that yeah. similar kind of space western vibe. Mm-hmm.
2: I'd like at some point to, you know, maybe even go a little harder in the stylization similar to Cowboy Bebop because they have that real like slick kind of vibe to it. Which yeah.
0: Chris and Zeke were then asked about what they were working on next. Um, so Chris and I are in
1: development uh, with Amazon on a TV show. Uh, That's also science fiction um, that we can't say too much about at this point, but where Prospect is a little more Western, it actually leans a little more medieval sci-fi. So um, hopefully, uh, yeah, that happens.
2: Yeah, we've kind of found ourselves like we didn't we didn't set out explicitly to be science fiction filmmakers. We kind of fell into it and we're very happy in it, I think. I think kind of the through-line is really the the world-building element of it, is really wanting to, you know, there's something very exciting about crafting something from the ground up. And, you know, as kids, we were inspired by a lot of science fiction and fantasy properties, and what, what you get from that is like the just the density of the lore and really getting lost in it and uh we wanted to kind of capture some of that feeling and just like being completely immersed in something so it's it's the
1: the the world building opportunity i mean we we really see world building itself as an art form and the ability to like make uh kind of images and and tones and atmospheres on kind of a clean slate is just kind of like one of the most fun exciting things Mm -hmm.
0: This directing duo has uh, a few projects that were short films and uh, that were released before and did well. And this prospect was originally a short film that they turned into a feature. Uh, the guys were also asked if they would take any of their other short film projects and uh, build them out into features.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. We we tried to write that. Yeah. Um, and it was tricky. That one was never... It, In the Pines was our first short film. It's about... Uh, it's kind of a little bit more experimental and about uh, a girl who's trying to get abducted by aliens. Um... We definitely, like, came up with a really cool alien concept when we were fleshing out the feature, (laughs) but we couldn't really get everything to jam together. I bet that alien comes up somewhere else. Yeah. We should use that, but um, that one was never, that one was always kind of a standalone thing, and it sort of felt (laughs) like forcing it to, to make it into a feature.
0: I then asked if they could uh, tell us, without any spoilers, about a scene that they thought felt com- came together so well that it was greater than the sum of its parts, better than they had originally planned for it. Of course, that would involve some kind of spoilers, and you can listen to them dance around and try not to give anything away. Oh. Well,
2: that has to give cool. something That has away. to give something away. There's
1: the operation that... that, that
0: There's a scene oh, that yeah. it's just,
1: it's just Sophie and Pedro like. Pascal and it was the scene I guess what I can say about it is we, we shot a lot of different angles of this scene and when we got into editing we just kind of played out one angle it's a very uncut shot and Sophie and Pedro's performance is just like amazing and we didn't even realize it on the day it wasn't until we got into the editing room we're like oh my gosh we actually captured something here and like I don't I feel like I can't take credit for it like they just brought it that day
2: um, another scene I really like is the just when they land uh, on the planet it was something that you know I think Apollo 13 was one of the most influential films of mine growing up and just sort of like driving in that really grounded sort of like how scary space is and just kind of the you know 60s level of technology using that to interact with something so insane and we wanted to kind of capture some of that where it's not like you know cut to exterior and then now you're on the moon we wanted to sort of have that experience in more or less real time and like sit with someone as they're careening down uh, to the surface and so that was something that was really important to me and, I, and I'm, I'm very happy with how it turned out
3: um, there's this one scene where C opens up to Ezra about her um, interest in this book and that's actually what I used to audition with mm-hmm. and I really just love that monologue um, yeah yeah that's where you get to see another side and she opens up to Ezra and that was, yeah, that was definitely
1: thing. and she had to do it like in continuous, like five minute takes and it was a in the helmet, hiking <laughs> and like suffocating might have been one of the
3: hardest and she
0: still so much, yeah. totally owned it. Thank you. And of course it wouldn't be zeros on heroes if I didn't ask them what they nerd out about and what they wanted to see at the con. That what? What do, what do you want to check out? Oh, Who are you talking about? Oh, us? Yeah, here, here,
1: here. Oh yeah.
3: Ah.
1: Um, I I really dig like uh, action figures, figurines, especially artists who are doing like original stuff. So there's a few people that I kind of have marked that I'm gonna go go check out. Uh, like Artist Alley is like super cool. Yeah, like, that's scene. what I've been hearing. Like I love the, I love the. I mean, as much as like I'm fans of the big movies, to me what's exciting is seeing like what the original stuff like kind of on the ground level is. Mm-hmm
0: that's where the press conference ended we had to got shuffled off by the PR people we had to take some pictures and do some stuff and uh you don't need to know any of that what you do need to know is that prospect opens nationwide November 9th and man it was good and it had such talking to these guys there was such a spirit of DIY like the the crafting something the film you could tell was like very it like all the details were on purpose and it had this intense focus and and you could tell the scope was so much larger, but the, the story was was very focused. and And to be to be honest with you, that's kind of what I wanted from the Star Wars anthology movies. You know, tell a tell a hyper focused story in an already established. I'd let these guys do it. They should they should get these guys to make a Star Wars movie. If you're listening, uh, Lucas Films and Kathleen Kennedy, let these guys make a Star Wars movie. That sounds like a great idea. The film prospect opens nationwide November 9th, If you're listening to this after then go see it find it anywhere you can get your hands on it um, legally watch it and uh, and you'll see it's great um, thanks that's it for the show thank you everybody for listening you can follow us at zeros on heroes zeros on heroes on all social media if you're looking down at your podcast listening device and it says Apple on it go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review and you can uh, like share and subscribe the podcast to all of your friends get everybody listening and if there you can think of ways we could to improve the show, let me know and I'd be happy to uh, take it under advisement. Maybe your idea becomes the next episode. Who knows? Uh, but you can follow me at Mike Mercadal on all social media. And uh, remember to come out to the Thursday Unsung Heroes Live at the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City, Queens. And uh, you can be on this very podcast feed on our live show and uh, talk about the topic of the day. Uh, thank you all for listening. Guys, remember to go out and be heroic.